It's Sunday, August 18th, and you are listening to In the Wheelhouse. ITW is a spontaneous discussion between two old friends on the Chicago Cubs and baseball and motion picture-related topics. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on ITW, NBA legend Bill Walton helps out on a White Sox broadcast. Reds rookie Aristides Aquino becomes the fastest player ever to double-digit home runs. While their play-by-play man, Marty Brennan, Brennerman, weighs in on politics. The electronic strike zone is convincing doubters in the Atlantic League. And DJ LeMayhew and Jeff McNeil could do something that hasn't been done in nearly 75 years. Tom and I also give our reviews of the new Quentin Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And we'll have all that and the week that was with the Chicago Cubs. So uh, I'm back to work. I'm back teaching. Uh, and uh, it was a refreshing and rejuvenating summer. And uh, I really like my students. They're a lot of fun. They're going to be great. I mean, so far, so good, you know? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I had to go visit a client uh, earlier this week in St. Charles. So I drove through where you work. Oh. And I could not believe how far you have to drive to work every day. I was, like, blown away by that. How many miles does it? It's, it's actually about 25 miles. But the thing is, the commute is so much faster than when I was going to uh, the city. Wow. Because I, I can shoot out on 90 at, at uh, 85 miles an hour. Wow. You know, on, I mean, it's, it's not a bad drive at all, actually. It, it, in comparison to what my commute used to be, this is so much better. But it is far. Interesting, because I thought it was very far for me. I can't <laughs> believe you have to do that every day. And certainly in the winter, I would think it would present challenges. Yeah, I can do it standing on my head. (laughs) I don't know that I recommend that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, so, so yesterday, this was kind of fun. My son and I and the rest of the family, we blasted off one of those uh, Estes rockets. Yeah, I I saw the video on on uh, on uh, Facebook, and uh, the first thing that came to mind was Apollo One. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It just, I mean. I don't know what happened. You know, uh, it, it, we blasted it off into the air. We got it up in the air, but it right. just didn't go very high or very far. Right. So I think uh, as a friend of mine tells me that the, the the rocket engines that I'm using aren't very powerful. I need to get better ones yeah. based on the rocket that I have. So we'll we'll. But that was a lot of fun because for the first time in a while, my son and I really did something together. So yeah, that's fun. that's great. And and is he. Because at, at his age, I love that whole concept. And we did that same thing at his age, only we did not have the, you know, basically ours were stillborn. We didn't, we didn't really get it out of the, uh, out of the launch pad. Uh, yeah. So, well, anyway. I, was, I was excited that, that we were able to put it together to where we actually could launch it. So that was That's cool. a big deal, man. It was cool. All right, so let's get to it. Um, I want to begin with uh, Jeff McNeil of the Mets yeah. and DJ LeMayhew of the Yankees are going to do something. They're going to, they're, they, they could right. have both win the batting title in their respective leagues, and they're both coming from the same city, which is something that has not been done since 1942. And this is amazing. It, it is, because if you look at the other four times that it's occurred, you're talking about almost all Hall of Fame players. Yes. Um, and the last time, obviously, was w- with Boston. Um, uh, I believe that uh, Ted Williams was one of them. I'm, I can't remember who the other guy was. But, they, but it actually occurred in the early 20s where um, Sisler and um, 
Rogers Hornsby both batted over 400. So, uh, you know, these are all basically Hall of Fame players. I'm not so sure either one of these players are going to make it to the Hall of Fame. And also, as I check in this morning, McNeil has fallen behind Yelich uh, oh, no. by, by one uh, percentage point. And Yelich is, is – and the thing is, is Bellinger is really the MVP in the National League. That's how that's – how, kind of the haves and have-nots in, in hitting this year. Um, there's there's three or four players over 40 home runs already, and that's that's extraordinary in the post-steroid uh, era. It really is. And, uh, you know, I, I hope they do it. And what's kind of, you know, cool about it is there's only a couple of cities where this could happen. It could happen in L.A., right. uh, Oakland, San Francisco. I guess you could call that the same city. Chicago and New York. Yeah. And that's it. So Well, uh, well you know. in California, it actually could happen four times. San Diego, Los Angeles, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> it really is all one city, isn't it? I mean, right. if you've ever driven from one to the other. I like have. I yeah. have. Yeah, it's not like you leave one place to go to another. So, yeah. you know, so, all right. So, so Bill Walton, this yeah. is the, the former center for the Portland Trailblazers and the, uh, and the Boston Celtics, right. who's uh, very much of a sort of a hippie guy. Sure is. He comes out to uh, the, White, the White Sox broadcast booth and he helps out uh, Jason Benetti subbing for Steve Stone. They're both wearing tie-dye shirts right and it was one of the strangest broadcasts i've ever heard and it was also one of the more entertaining ones yeah and i i got snippets of like the the highlights i put that in parentheses um that uh you know bill walton brought certainly brought a kid's enthusiasm into the booth but it was also kind of like fellini bizarre at certain points um but you know, he said some strange things. He did, he did and he, he he was like a typical fan, thinking balls that were actually mid outfield uh, out yeah. were going to be home runs. Which, <laughs> I know, I every, know. but but the fact is, every fan has done that. That right. That, 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 and, right. And and the, the the irony is is that he's sitting next to one of the finest play by play guys in all of baseball. And he, I know he's a Jason's a young guy, but he's still he's already one of the best guys. I I, I agree. And, yeah. and I think Jason had the really tough job of trying to uh, navigate this ship that was taking out a lot of water. Um, and, you know, Walton's a br- brilliant guy. If you, He's extremely he well-read. Uh, he's a big fan of one of my favorite literary genres, which is the beat writers. Yeah. Um, he was intimately tied into, um, believe it or not, like Patty Hearst and, and going back to the early 70s, um, one of the greatest centers that UCLA has ever produced. He's, his, his NBA career is kind of mixed, but he was a phenomenal college basketball player. He really was, one and, of the best ever. And, you know? and if you think about it, he may be one of those guys that if you had to have lunch with somebody, he'd be the guy that you'd want to have lunch with just because of how much of an open mind he has. Not so sure that is his best places in the broadcast booth no, for, no, for baseball. No. Yeah, not, but, but certainly, I mean, for a team like the White Sox, who's, you know, they're, they're way out of it. I mean, it's certainly right. for entertainment value. Uh, absolutely. Because, uh, and, and you're right. I mean, Benetti has to sort of, he has to sort of encourage Walton right. without insulting him. Right. You know what I mean? And telling right. him he's an idiot for, you know what I mean? So, so that you're right. I mean, it was a tough job. There was but one, I also want, there oh, was oh, one oh. moment where Walton uh, said, you know, they're going to get a triple play on this. And, and yeah. Jason had to say, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's already one out. There's <laughs> already one out. Yeah. yeah. Well, we should carry the out over to the yeah, next yeah, inning. Exactly. Yeah, it was, it was, it was priceless. But, you know, uh, Bill, Bill's done a lot of acid in his days. Yeah. And, <laughs> And you wouldn't have known it listening to that 
for that broadcast. <laughs> well, I will say that that we're sort of in a golden age of broadcasting, at least for Chicago baseball, because now that Benetti has replaced Hawk Harrelson, you know, the White yes. Sox broadcast is suddenly really good. Extremely and then good. You, and then you already have strong uh, partnerships with, uh, with uh, Len Casper and Jim Deshays, and then also uh, – on the radio with Pat Hughes and uh, Ron Coomer. So, you know, it's a good time. I, I, I agree, but I don't think anybody's as good as Benedetti. I, I think Jason is, is the, the best broadcaster uh, in Chicago. And again, I think he's one of the best in the major leagues. Wow. All yep. right. High praise. High praise. Yep. So um, the Reds may have found a replacement for Yasiel Puig in this guy, <laughs> Aristides Aquino. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's the fastest player to 10 home runs in the history of baseball. I think he hit his 11th the other day. He hit so. his 11th last night. Yeah. Uh, it, this is really, he- this is a head scratcher because if you go, uh, Aquino was actually signed in 2011 as a 16 year old to, to, yeah. to yeah. major league baseball. That says something. 2011. That, yeah. that says something right there. However, when you kind of look at his minor league career, it's pretty checkered. I, 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 outside of this year, which where he batted, I think he's hit 29 home runs at AAA, which is substantial. Make no mistake about it. Prior to that, it's been kind he, of a mixed bag. So I'm not a hundred percent. You know, if this was a stock market or if this was a stock, I, I, I would. I don't know that I would buy a lot of it. I, I think that it's extraordinary that he's hitting. Um, you know, he comes out of the gate like this, but I think major league pitchers are going to quickly um, make some figure them out. Yes. yes well, I, I mean, there, there's been, I saw an article in the athletic and, and they were wondering why anybody throws him a strike, you know, yeah. but, uh, but at least we'll right see, now, we'll, we'll, see, see, right, yeah, exactly. we'll see how this plays out. And, you know, as far as a replacement for Puig, Puig never actually ever hit like this. What Puig no. brings to the party is he's like a three and a half at every category, but his real strong suit is his throwing arm. Why yeah. anybody would ever run on Puig, it happened again a couple of days ago, is beyond me. I mean, he's got one of the best outfield throwing arms, if not the best throwing arm in baseball. Yeah, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't feel the ball very well, no, but he no. throws it. Extraordinarily with, uh, well. It's, he's yes. got a Dave Parker-like arm. Yeah, he really does have one of the best arms I've ever seen. But, uh, but you know, I, they're, in Cincinnati, they're just uh, all over this guy, Aquino. Yeah. Well, they have and to be. What, what else can you do? <laughs> what else can you do, exactly? But, I mean, they're making all these comparisons to Eric Davis, you know, that he has, he has kind of the same batting stance and a similar yeah. swing. Yep. He's a lot taller than Davis, yep. and he's got probably about 60 pounds on him or 40 pounds on him. But uh, it's still really exciting. I mean uh, – I'd like to see him be successful. I think it would really, sh- it would really sort of uh, inject some energy into that uh, franchise. You know, I think it's good. Well, you know, so when, when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I still stand by the fact that when the Reds are doing well, it's really good for baseball. And while while they're right now they are six games under five hundred, uh, most. Um, sages out there have them finishing a little bit over 500, which is a huge success for them for this year. And I think next year, watch out for the Reds. Yeah, watch out for the Reds. Absolutely. We did talk about that uh, two weeks ago. Okay, so um, speaking of the Reds, speaking of the Reds, yeah, Marty (laughs) Brennerman, their uh, longtime announcer, uh, weighed in on gun reform and Donald Trump. And I thought this was fascinating. He appeared on a, a Reds related podcast. Yeah. And uh, he said that he is, uh, you know, this guy, you know, I've been a Reds fan where I had been a Reds fan for quite a long time. 
And as you know, Cincinnati can be a very, very conservative city. Yes. And, and Marty Brennerman really for many years reflects those values, those conservative values inherent in Cincinnati. And yep. uh, for him to come out and say that he is not going to vote for Donald Trump, that he thinks it's crazy that people can go out and get these machine guns, mm-hmm. you know, there's no need for any. And, and I just think it really is counter to sort of the culture of uh, the modern conservative. And I think he's also providing sort of a path for other conservatives to do the same and not vote for Trump. Yeah, so. it, 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 the, what this is really kind of uh, um, un, uh, uncovering throughout the country is, is as mm-hmm. Donald Trump politically becomes more and more pushed into a corner uh, politically, because let's be honest, if the economy goes south, he's cooked. There's no he way he's cooked. There's yeah. no way he'll be reelected. But I just still think it's kind of ironic that, you know, Marty's like, I might not vote for him. Really, Marty? What more evidence do you need to see? This guy is basically a card carrying member of the KKK. And and yeah, and yeah. I, that, that's what kind of is almost humorous to me is around the country. People are like, well, you know, based on this latest buffoon buffoonery of Mr. Trump, I, I don't think I'm going to vote for him. What the hell were you thinking when you voted for him in the first place? So that's that's number one. Um, number two is I just think it's ironic that as conservative as Cincinnati is, uh, about a lot of things, including gay people, that is called the Queen City. That's all. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. It, it, yeah. But it, it, there it is. I mean, Cincinnati is full of contradictions. Right. And right. Uh, Marty Brennerman is certainly the latest. Yep. You know, but uh, but I, I was really, honestly, as, as someone who was a Reds fan, and, and Brennerman is really the only connection to the Reds that I continue to, that I maintain. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the last thing that I can say you know, that I can point to that connects me to the team of my youth. And for him to do this, I was astonished. I mean, it's his last year. So he has the freedom to kind of speak his mind. But uh, I was really surprised that he did it. It it. is his last season. And I know that, that, you know, you, this is the only connection because after Marge shot died, you, you really were lost for a little while there. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's true. That was, that was lost. All right. So, uh, so, Donald Trump has recently said that uh, Kurt Schilling, the former Red Sox pitcher, the former Arizona Diamondbacks pitcher, yeah. is considering a run for the United States Senate in Arizona. Yeah. And I just thought this was, uh, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know much about the political landscape in Arizona. Mostly conservative I, I, state. Mostly conservative state. I guess I would, be, I would fear someone as prominent as Kurt Schilling, but the, he, he, this is a guy who brings a lot of baggage with him. Oh, there's no you question. Know, yeah, and he, there, I don't think he would be a good candidate at all. He lives in Massachusetts. He's basically yeah. um, persona non grata there for a couple of reasons. One of them has been his positions uh, on his a podcast. Political posi- yes, right. But right. the other one is that he stiffed the state for $70 million with his now defunct video game business. Yes. And, and that's left a really bad taste in the, the mouse of... Uh, the folks uh, in New England. Um, I think it's kind of interesting. And also, by the way, he said that he was going to take on Elizabeth Warren and he was polling in less than single digit margin. <laughs> so, so I guess Massachusetts, which, by the way, once in a while does put a conservative Republican in, in a prominent office in the state. It's not going to be him there. No. It's, it's interesting in, in Arizona, we've seen some really wacky things over the years. And I think, you know, after uh, uh, the late, great Senator John McCain passed away, it, it's all bets are off in that state as far as if it, 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 it will be a Democrat, will it be a, uh, a Republican? But I think there's one thing 
that I wanted to kind of get out of this topic this morning. And that is when I look at Mr. Schilling's numbers, it's time for baseball to put him into the Hall of Fame. As much as I dislike him personally, right. I think his you know, his 75 ER, uh, win above replacement, he's almost got 100 more wins than losses. His World Series play, um, you, you got to put him in. What, what, whatever you think about him personally, and I don't think much about him, I, I, think, I think more about his bloody sock than I do think yeah. about him. Uh, I think that baseball has to take a really close look at his numbers because if you're only keeping him out because you don't like him, well, then throw out about half the people in the Hall yeah, of Fame, right. including, There's a lot Ty, of Hall of including Ty Cobb. Yeah, Ty Cobb right. was a right-wing racist. He was even writer well, that he, he he really was. If you read read his biography, he was the very. Bi- I read, he, I read, I read the. He was very conservative. He, and yeah. he was a racist, uh, and I don't think that there's any. All, all things point towards that. Tremendous baseball player, base, one of baseball's greatest. But all my point is, you if you're keeping Schilling out because of his political positions or his his gaffes after baseball, it's a mistake because based on his statistics, he merits a vote. He does merit. I'll, I'll have to look again. Yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm anybody not sure over that. a anybody over a seventy win above replacement. You got to put him in the hall, and that's including Mike Trout, who we're about to talk about. Who's who's all, Yeah, exactly. But uh, the, the thing is, I do want to just mention, I, I recently read a modern biography of Ty Cobb. And, and I think this, uh, these accusations of being a racist may be a little unfounded. I don't know. I think there's another side to this. His father was an abolitionist. Did yeah. you know that? No, I guess I did. Yes, I did. Uh, so but but I, also, I, also, not that I'm defending Ty Cobb. First of all, I believe 100% he was a racist. But I believe 99% of white people back then were racist. I, don't, I, I think that it was very unusual that you found abolitionists. And I, think if you, I, I think you could probably take a look at an abolitionist in, in, the, late, in the early 1900s, and you, could pro- and you compare that abolitionist then to somebody living, just a white person living today, and you could probably accuse that abolitionist of being racist in terms of when you compare them yes. to the modern, you know, when we apply our moral standards of today. Yes. You know? Yes. It, it, you're talking about grades here. You're talking, yes. you know, and, and it's very, this is a very re- complicated situation. And again, not to disparage Cobb too much. My point is Schilling belongs in the hall of fame. Yes, he does. He does belong in the hall of fame. All right. So I'll, you know what I'll, I'll, I won't say that he does belong in the Hall of Fame, but I'll say that I'll give it some consideration. Well, that's good. That's all, all right. we can ask for. Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> so uh, Mike Trout, is, yeah. is, he may be having the best year of his career, and that is saying something. He right. is just off the charts. I mean, if you look at his baseball reference page, he's, just, he's leading the majors in so many categories, right. home runs. Um, I think it's OPS, everything. It's well, just unbelievable. All that, and, and, and also one of the things that I noticed as I was looking at stats today is how few stolen bases there are in the majors anymore. It used to be at this time that, you know, a Maury Wills or a Ricky Henderson would have 75 stolen bases at this point in the season. The, the National League uh, leader has 29. The American League leader has 34. Trout has uh, 23 or 24 stolen bases. So on top of all of what Trout brings you from a power standpoint and a defensive standpoint, he also gives you speed. He, he's so much like Mickey Mantle, but at this point he's actually better than Mickey Mantle was at this point. It's, I can't believe I'm actually saying that, but it's true. Yeah. So we have a very special player. A few weeks ago you said, hey, will he beat you know, uh, Babe Ruth for having the, the, most, uh, the highest 
win above replacement of all time, 1.71. I don't think so, and it's only because Trout doesn't pitch. But I think Trout could very well end up with a 120, 130 win above replacement. He's yeah. a, he, If he dies tomorrow, he's a slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and, and then again, one wonders why the Angels don't win. If he's so good, but it just they have such little, they have so little pitching. It, it, remi- I, it reminds me a lot of the of Jordan's uh, Chicago Bulls in the late '80s. It was kind of a one man yeah. team, and that's the problem that Trout suffers from. You know, would the Angels be better trading him for four or five very good players? You know that you could you can you could make a strong case for that. You can make a case for it, but I think ultimately, how do you trade right. the best player right. in, in this generation? Correct. I don't I don't think you can do it. I think they're going to try to get Garrett Cole, sign him as a free agent. He's from right. Southern California, yep. went to UCLA, so maybe they'll get better next year. But uh, I'm not. Uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. All right. So uh, the Phillies fired John Maley, who yeah. used to be the hitting coach for the Cubs, who the right. Cubs fired. Right. And they've replaced him with Charlie Manuel, which which was, I thought, amazing. Charlie Manuel was very well loved in, in Philadelphia because he won a World Series, went to another one, won, I think, what did they win? Five divisions in a row yeah. behind Manuel. Yep, yep, and, yep. and uh, you know, he's very popular there, but he's also very, very old. Right. And he, here, I mean, this is kind of like. Uh, the Billy Connors, who's uh, the pitching coach for the Mets. Right. You know what I mean? They just bring this guy in in the middle of the year to kind of finish out the string. Yeah. That, but I that, thought that was it. Geritol has signed both of these guys on <laughs> um, to sponsor their product. But in all, all seriousness aside, um, there's a couple things. Manuel is 75. He's a grizzled old guy. Everybody likes him. It's a Band-Aid solution for the Phillies. For the moment, yes, it and, is. Yes. And apparently, reading between the lines, um, John Malley, who – by the way, Chris Bryant loves the guy. If Chris Bryant ran the Cubs, Malley would still be the hitting coach. I don't know whether you knew that. but it No, appe- yes, no, I did. I but, did know that. But it I appears as though Harper um, uh, is the one that kind of instigated this. Harper was having major problems with John Malley, and that's what kind of be- set this whole thing into motion. Well, I mean, I, Harper has – hit a little bit better under yes. under manual, yes. I guess. So <laughs> at, at so, the Cubs expense. Yes. He at has. the Cubs expense. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think I may have seen something about that and perhaps we'll talk about it yeah. later, but, uh, but you're right. It, I, I, I don't know. I mean, mainly see the thing is when they had fired Maley and brought in uh, Chili Davis, mm-hmm. you know, everybody said this was going to be the thing that solved the Cubs problems as far as uh, hitting with runners in scoring position and it didn't no, it did. and then they brought in a guy uh, who's the Cubs hitting coach now but he's sort of the same hitter as uh, is it Tom no Tommy Hadovy's the pitching coach but it's the same philosophy that uh, that uh, that Maley has and so they bring in a guy who's pretty much a Maley clone or a Maley disciple and they probably realized that they shouldn't have hired, fired him in the first place. Well, if you go back to Malley's reign on the Cubs, the Cubs at that time were leading the majors in drawing walks and, and yes. really pay, play patience. And it's been really terrible since then. Anthony Iapochi or whatever his name is. Iapochi, that's it. Thank is, you. Is the hitting coach now. Um, but but the, the problems that the Cubs have that are well known throughout the league, not being able to hit the high fastball and the and the breaking ball and, and the breaking ball. ball away being susceptible Correct. to those two pitches. They, yeah. hasn't, they haven't fixed that. And so if, if the Cubs end up where I think they're going to be, and we'll talk about that in a little while, they're probably going to fire this hitting coach too. So you never know. Malley might come back to the Cubs. Yeah, maybe saying. he will for a second <laughs> stint. You know that because uh, 
because because it really is when you think about the way that they the way pitchers have been getting them out, it may be a question of approach. It yeah. really is, yeah. and sort of an overall way that the Cubs hitters are are trying to hit, and and it's just not working for whatever reason. You know, when they bring in Castellanos, he sort of hits in his own way. Right. He doesn't describe. He doesn't describe to this philosophy. So, correct. Correct. Uh, you know. Anyway, but there's more than one way to skin a cat. Um, now, did you see this in the Athletic? Uh, Jason Stark wrote a column about how things are going in the Atlantic League with the electronic strike zone, and I think that it's sort of um, silencing some of the doubters. Uh, certainly, I'm one of them. I didn't like it. I don't like the idea of an electronic strike zone, but for whatever reason, it seems to be working, and I think we may see it at the major league level. Yeah, I read the article by Jason, Why Write 100 Words When You Can Write 100,000 Words, Stark. Yeah. Uh, yes, right, right. I read a couple of sentences. And I'm like, Jason, you didn't need to throw those 12 words in there. It, three words would have been sufficient. Is your editor uh, on vacation? What's going on there? But uh, it, it's this is a dangerous, dangerous thing in my mind. I'm somewhat with Kershaw in the sense that yeah. I think that maybe the solution is to use it in an instant replay format at the major league level because I think what you're going to see is – that you're going to have a lot more walks. They, they talk about that, but I think if, if – and then the, abil- the inability of the strike zone to pick up the bunt strike zone is kind right. of alarming to me. That, that There's some flaws. Yes, that, uh, yes. Yeah. I, I just think it's scary. It kind of reminds me of 1984. I hate to say it in, in one sense that, that you're, you're taking the human element out of the game, and if you continue to do that, I think you're going to further alienate fan, fans moving forward. I think what you have to have is humans calling the balls and strikes, but, it, but maybe give the manager three or four times in the course of the game where they can, where they can challenge it. And then that's it. When you're out of out of uh, strike challenges, you're done for the that's day. That's it. You that know. will slow things down a little bit. I mean, they were talking about how in the Atlantic League, there'd be like a close pitch with a, on a 3-2 count, and the hitter is walking to first base, and the umpire is looking right. at the whatever it is, and, and then he calls it a strike. And, and, you know, so there's this delay, and guys are getting rung up, and, and hitters don't like it, but... But, you know, the umpire can look to, like, look, it, it hit the strike zone. Well, you know, You're out. you referenced you know? that part of the article. What, what, what they were talking about is there was a guy on first running to second. So that's the Yes, that's, the that's issue. right. You've got live yes. base runners, and there's this delay. You know, you're going to have all kinds of – they're taking bases. Yeah, right? you're going to have all kinds – unless you can say it's going to review every – all players stop where you're at. I, I, it just – it seems to me, and also it, it appears after a period of time that it hasn't increased the, the speed of, uh, or the time of the games, which is good news. I like the idea that it's, it's basically accurate a, a, in its intent, but, but part of it just scares the living hell out of me. I just think that we're going to a – to an, yeah. uh, R, I don't know if you're familiar with the science fiction book, R-U-R, uh, but, yeah. but it's like, is everything going to be robotic moving forward? I, I, I just some, Something about this really scares me. No, you're right. I mean, taking the human element out of it is a little scary. I mean, all these umpires, you know, I mean, are they just going to do away with the umpire altogether? Right. You right. know, and, and, and the other thing, and this, this article by Stark was the first time I'd heard this addressed in that uh, there's a context to the strike zone, that, that the same pitch on 0-2 is not a strike on, on 3-0. and 0, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That, uh, so, so that's the first time I've kind of seen that. Yeah. And uh, I, I like that humans kind of control that. So maybe, maybe we'll see it. I don't know. 
maybe we'll, we'll see it in kind of a modified form. I think there always has to be a human being sort of controlling it, though. I agree. Really making the decisions. So, uh, all right. So the 1994, 1995 strike ended several careers, including the one of Bo Jackson, yeah. who knew that it was time to hang it up. So uh, what did you want to say about well, this? Well, the, the big point I wanted to make is, is that a lot of aging players ended up re- retiring or, or were cut, and then the very next year retired right before spring training. Uh, Dave Henderson, who was at yeah. that point a 14-year veteran, um, had the, the most prescient quote of all. He said, they should never, ever – let a baseball player have the summer off as a baseball player. That was my first summer off ever. And I liked it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Once I got introduced to this thing, they call labor day and a family barbecue and everything. I said, hell with it. I'm not going back. (laughs) That's the cautionary tale for baseball moving forward regarding strikes. I think that's the, the pratfall and people, People fail to realize just how bad that was for baseball back in 94. Oh, yes. There, oh, yes, there are friends was, yeah. of mine who never came back to the game of baseball after 94. They, that's how hurt they were. There were teams that, you know, as I recall, weren't the White Sox challenging? The White Sox were in first place the, the when Indians, the strike happened. The Indians had the best team in baseball. And uh, the Expos had a great team that year, yeah, too. Yeah, so it's a cautionary tale, but I think baseball should and, and Manfred should really think about it in the Players Association when they, when they ever think about doing another strike again. Henderson... They should take that quote and put it up on every in every single clubhouse. Like, hey, summer, this yeah. is great. Spending time with my family, right. good weather. Right. No, you're right, you're right. So, uh, all right. So, so I was looking at this article you you sent me about when is it safe to leave a baseball game? Yeah. It's sort of a statistical analysis of when you might feel like it's okay to leave a baseball game and not miss any ninth inning heroics. Yeah. And I thought that, that I, I have to say, I mean, I've been to a lot of baseball games yeah. and I haven't always been able to stay to the end. You did, and for, I've always, you did for a while. For a, while for a long time, career, I was very, you, you I was never resolute. missed it out. Right, right. For a long time, I would stay extra innings. When I was younger, I would stay rooted to the spot. Right. I remember going to a doubleheader at Comiskey Park and all my friends, they're like, oh man, let's just go home. We've been here all day. <laughs> and, and I, they left and I stayed. Yeah. I got to see Nolan Ryan because I wanted to see Nolan Ryan pitch, yeah. you know, so, so, but, but now, you know, I have a life, I have children, I have a family, I, mean, <laughs> I have things to do. So I can't, I can't stay at games like I used to. Right. But I think that, that when you decide to leave a baseball game, there are many, many other factors that kind of come into play. Yeah, yeah. Do you have to get up tomorrow? Right. You know, is one of them. I right. Think. Uh, so. You know, is weather a factor? There's all kinds of things that go, go involved. Like back in the early 90s when I was a season ticket holder for the Cubs I would oftentimes go with uh, our only fan of this show Joe side to games and, yes and and it wasn't uncommon for us to be out of Wrigley by the third inning and over at El Hardin with a margarita in our hands it, I mean I, I it's yeah. happened numerous yeah. times and yeah. and so basically what 538 um is is saying and it's scary it's another almost a science fiction thing that there's actually a formula that you can say hey (laughs) after the after the sixth inning if 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 one team is leading by four runs or more there's a 95 percent chance that they're going to win the game that that's that's it's mind-boggling to me 95 percent chance 
Well, I think it makes sense. Yes. You know, that, that it but makes still. sense. But I mean, you don't need, I don't think you need a statistical formula to tell you that. You, you know do, what I mean? You don't, but I think you, for the dweebs out there and, and the, uh, you know, the unwashed, uneducated, that's, it's scary that they could be standing there with this graph in their hands going, okay, we can leave now. The ball game's over. Because well, some, of, yeah. some of the greatest moments of all time, how about all of those people, like they, the article references, that had their, you know, rear, their headlights on as they were pulling out of Dodger Stadium in 1988 when Gibson hit that home run? I mean, that's right. arguably that's one of the right. greatest moments and some of the greatest moments in baseball history have occurred as a result of teams overcoming this particular, this, what, what they're proposing here. And I think it's just um, kind of like the, uh, kind of like the, the uh, strike zone thing. It's a scary proposition for baseball. Baseball has got to go back more to the human element and get away from this stuff. That's right. I mean, cause, cause everybody's saying, everybody says, well, baseball needs to be more like football and more like, basketball no no baseball needs to be more like baseball correct you know correct. it has to be itself correct. and that's where it distinguishes itself i, I you don't want to be like the other sports i can't imagine you know? how many hot dogs babe ruth would have to eat today to get his head around what's happening in baseball uh after after he passed away in 1948 i i, I would often wonder what it would be like you know if we just were able to somehow you know, bring players from the past to the present right. and see what they would think and say about the way the game is played. It would be really interesting. Yeah. So, all right. So let's get on to the Chicago Cubs. Yay. The Cubs are three and six on their current 10 game road trip. They were two and a half games up when they left Chicago. They dropped yesterday or two days ago to one game out of first place, but now they've tied it back up with the Cardinals after they won last night. Right. But uh, it's just been tough. It's, you know, one bad loss after another. Well, um, uh, less than mediocrity will do that to you. They, they're yeah, right now right. the Cubs are the Salieri of the major leagues. They uh, <laughs> they're just average, slightly below average. What they benefit from is that they're in a average to slightly average division. Um, yeah. They're, With a bunch of flawed teams. I, so, I, I checked you know. all of their stats, all their offensive stats, their defensive stats, their pitching stats, and the scariest proposition is all of all of it is they're basically in the middle of everything. They're, 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 things that they used to be great at, they're no longer great at from an from a offensive standpoint. And the same thing, the only benefit they have, I think, is they have a very solid starting pitching staff. Over the last four games, three of which resulted in losses, their starting pitchers combined gave up one run. Yeah. One yeah, run. Yeah, and and yeah. you, Darvish, by the way, hasn't walked a hitter since, like, you know, like 12 years ago, I, like he, he is. Yeah, no, he, no, this year he's been a, a really good. And, yes. and it's exactly what we talked about, Darvis, that he just needed to work the cobwebs out of that injury. He, the, he's great. The starting pitchers are great. That's the one good thing that's saving grace about the Cubs. But the reality is, is that they're just an average team. They're, they're in an average division. They're, they're really expending an incredible amount of energy to try to keep a top and try to make it into the playoffs. Statistically, from a, a, a win-loss percentage standpoint, they're on the cusp of being a playoff team. That's about it. But no team has ever um, uh, really advanced in the playoffs ever with a losing record on the road. It's not well. It, no, yeah, it, right. No Cubs team certainly has won a playoff series. I think right after they had a losing record on the road, and it's very, very difficult to do that in the playoffs. I don't think. Yeah, there's not many teams. I mean, the Twins. 
the Twins, I think, it what was it, 80? 87. 87, 87. They, they were four games over 500. On the road? Were no, really? oh, for the season. I think they were for like. The season. Yeah. They, but they were so good at home in that yes. Metrodome. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I think they may have had a losing record on the road. That may be the only team that I can consider. You know, there was the St. Louis Cardinals team that won the World Series, I think, a few years ago. They made a, They were a wild card. They qualified as a wild card. They may have had a losing record on the road. Uh, against Detroit. Uh, you, and yeah, the, and that's right. The, the thing is about all of that is, is that the um, you back in the day when every other year they switched off the home field advantage, that 87 te- uh, team of the Twins had the home field advantage. You have to have the home field advantage. And guess what? Even if the Cubs make the playoffs, they're never going to have the home field advantage ever. At no, any, they won't at, at any stage. But, <laughs> but the other thing too, Tom, is that you know there's been a lot of injuries. I mean, they don't have Contreras. You're right. You know, Hayward was kind of banged up there for a little while. Baez got sick. It's I the mean, bullpen. You were looking for, at their the, lineup. The story and, is the bullpen. The bullpen yeah, well, has been C-Sheck injured. is out. Right. And Kimball is out. If if Morrow comes back in the next oh, week or so, God. like I'm hearing that he may. And by the way, Kimbrell should be back today. Yeah, um, he's going to be there. Going to activate him today. Th- then you know their fortunes can change, but it's not going to change that much. The needle might move slightly. I think what we have to start thinking and coming to grips with: a, there's a chance, a good chance they won't make the playoffs. B, they're never winning the World Series. So C, what do you do about it? And so um, I, I just think, and we, we can talk about this a little bit later in our discussion about the Cubs. But I think that they have to start looking at potentially breaking this team up. And the reason is, is because at this point, if you go back to 2015, up to this point, they're in decline. They're not, yeah. they're not getting better. Yeah. They're getting worse. And so, you know, you gotta, you got, and I've got, I've got a solution. I think uh, that makes some sense. And we'll talk about that in a second, but I know you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the Philadelphia series and Cole Hamels kind of going yes. back to his, his days of glory uh, in yes. Philadelphia. What happened there? Well, I mean, it was interesting because, you know, he's making his first start in Philadelphia since he left as a free agent. He didn't play there. He didn't pitch there. When he played for the Rangers, he didn't pitch there last year when he was with the Cubs. So this was the first chance Philadelphia fans had to kind of express how much they love him. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a moment, I was listening to it on the radio, and, you know, Pat Hughes had to stop the broadcast. I mean, the cheers that were coming from the fans, from the stands. I mean, it was really kind of a – it was an emotional moment. And I think it had to be – if you're Kurt Schilling, you know, he stepped off the mound, he tipped his cap. It was a big deal. but then Kurt, he, Kurt Schilling, you mean Cole Hamels. Cole Hamels, I mean, sorry. Yes, that's right. Cole Hamels goes out there, and it, it's an emotional moment, and uh, then he proceeds to go out and get shelled. So yeah, he did. he did. He forgot to it cover was, first base on a, on a ground ball to the right side. That was a, just a terrible start. It, it was almost like Schilling today was actually pitching, the way that he got roughed up. Yes, uh, exactly, but, exactly. But the, Hamels has been so solid for so long I think pitchers like him are, are not only due for an outing like that, but they're, it's okay when they have an out. Like Sparky used to say, if you're going to lose, lose 10 to nothing. Don't yeah. lose one to nothing. That, that, that's the way to lose. <laughs> but the problem is the Cubs are mired in this terrible, terrible slump on the road, so mm-hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't help things, you it know, doesn't. it doesn't improve the outlook in, in any way. So that was a really, really bad loss. And I want to mention um, the uh, Tribune uh, beat writers – Tim Bannon, Mark Gonzalez, and Paul Sullivan, they compiled a list of the five worst Cubs losses this year. Yeah. And uh, the first one is uh, 
a three-one loss to the White Sox when Eloy Jimenez hit yes. the home run. Yes. That was a terrible loss. That's not the worst one, but yes. That's yes. not the that was the fifth worst from their right. opinion. Got it, got it, got it. So then uh, May twentieth at Wrigley Field, Phillies five, Cubs four. The Cubs scored three runs in the bottom of the eighth yes. off a of bases loaded triple by Descalso. Yes, I remember you know, and that then they lose in the tenth off of a homer by JT Real Muto. Yep. Then there's the 11-10 loss to the Rangers in Arlington in the first, I think it was the second game the of the season. The second game of the season, correct. Yep. They had 17 hits in that game. Yep. Then, then, <laughs> That's unbelievable. Then July 3rd in Pittsburgh, they lose 6-5 to five to the Pirates. They led 5-4 going to the ninth, right. and then Kimbrell blew the save and gave up a double to Jung Ho Gang, and then Diaz scored when, when Russell tried to, tried to throw to, uh, to home to cut down the tying run. And then the last one was the was the Harper Grand Slam, yeah, the walk off Grand Slam. That's the worst loss this season, according to these guys, and I have to agree. I completely agree. It's the worst loss in about two or three years, actually, if you really yeah. think about it. And the reason is is because, okay, so major pressure on the Cubs to win on the road. They they have a significant lead going into the ninth inning, and granted, their bullpen is terrible. This part, th- th- this is the main. Uh, criticism that I have about Madden is not so we know you don't have the pitchers to pitch we get that it's just it's what you're doing with those pitchers is my criticism and I and I I think go ahead he said it out the guys he's got I don't know what else he can do I can tell you what he can do when a guy can't get the ball over the plate you take him out it's just that simple I don't care how many other pitchers you have well first of all Chatwood didn't pitch the whole time until yesterday and he was brilliant when he did pitch yesterday I got to give him a lot of credit I just think some of this is on Madden we're going to talk about Madden at the end of the at, at the end of this segment but you know going that game was was demoralizing and then the game on Friday night was demoralizing. They oh my God! Back to we, back yeah. walk-offs. It just—it just was yeah. almost too much to take. I, I, well, I, well, in the in the last two nights ago, we were having our little party over here, and, and the rain kind of brought everybody inside. So we're all gathered around the TV, and it really was disappointing. And as soon as that first runner got on, I'm like, "There's, they're gonna, they're gonna, the 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 Pirates are gonna tie it up." Yeah. I had no confidence whatsoever. Yeah. Right. You that's just see it happening. That, that's you know. a very interesting point. I have no confidence when they get into the ninth inning with those pitchers. I don't care who they are, even including Kimbrell. And if I'm thinking that, Tom, think about what the rest of the players are right. thinking. I mean, right. you know, right. come on. I mean, they're the ones who are living with this every day. For sure. You know, and, and it's sure. just so demoralizing to, to, to have these leads only to squander them. Yeah. I mean, you, don't, you win as a team and you lose as a team. But, uh, you know, Madden once said, I mean, if you're going to be mad that a pitcher gave up runs, then why didn't you score more runs? You know what I mean? Why? I yeah. mean, so, you know, but uh, but still, it's it's been a bitter, bitter pill to swallow because For sure. they wasted three excellent outings by three starting pitchers. You know, yep. Quintana, Darvish and Hendricks all pitched great on this road trip. Oh, and yeah. All three of those games were losses. So, you know. Yep. So so what do they do? They, they option Albert Almora to the minors, and Addison Russell is recalled. Right. Which I thought was interesting. You know, they, they I think Almora has been a candidate for demotion for oh, yeah. quite some time. But the thing about Almora is he does possess one, one skill that plays at the major league level in that he is an excellent uh, defensive center fielder. He really is. And that kept him on the roster. You know, if the Cubs were, were, were hitting like they can, uh, you could afford to keep Elmora in the lineup as, as kind of your Brooks Robertson slash great defensive player that can't really – or maybe a better analogy is Ozzie Smith, you know, the phenomenal yes. defensive player, not always a great hitter. Elmora 
he has a big problem, which I think once I started breaking the stats down, it made me think, why have they kept him up, up so long? And that is he's a right-hander who cannot hit left-handing pitching. And, He's and, a right-hander who's supposed to hit left-handers, and he has not hit them at all. Yeah. over a long period of time. I went back and looked a couple of years. He's basically a 220 to 240 hitter against left-handed pitching. You can't stay in the majors with that stat. I ultimately, As, yeah. I ultimately think, based on the way that the Cubs are – the makeup of the Cubs – He's not. He's not going to maybe not even be called back. It's possible. It would take some injuries for him to call back. Be called back because the reason is is Hay- Hayward is such a uh, having such a fine renaissance season. Yeah, he and is. he's he's almost as good as Elmore is defensively. Maybe you can make a case he's as good. Um, and so you don't really need Elmore. You know, they 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 bring the wife beater back. I, I that's inexplicable to me because I think Kemp is. Been, has been pretty Kemp, able. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's I had some Kemp. great defensive plays at second base, but really the story becomes Ben Zobris. And the problem that we have with Zobris is he's hitting even worse right now in the the minors than he, he was. Oh, yeah, he's, he's basically batting 220 to 230. He's got no power wow. left. He hasn't been able to hit a home run in a long time. No, he I, hit a home run in the minors, though. He, I thought he hit one. Um, n- I don't know. Not, not, not the stats that I checked. He's, he's vacillated between A, double, and triple A, and it's basically singles and it's not a uh, not enough of them um it's a small sample size no doubt but if you go back to, to how he started out this season at the major league level it's kind of the you're getting yeah. the same i think what right. you're seeing is zobris at the end of his career it's no fault of his his father time has caught up with him the, the more positive story is brandon morrow who if he can come back in the next week or so that yeah. could change the bullpen for the cubs and that could potentially change the team uh, that in com- combination with Kimbrel, because you've got to get Strope and Kinsler and some of these pitchers out of key situations. They're becoming Carl Edwards Jr., really. Out of these high leverage. Yeah. Right. No, well, y- you can't continue to depend on these guys in the ninth. Right. And, and what's, what's really difficult about having a struggling bullpen is that it's so hard to win a close game. You know, yeah. it, it really is. You have to win 10 to nothing. You know yeah, what I mean? And, and, and it's just, it's so demoralizing. If I'm a manager that has to depend on these pitchers, I'm going to be wearing depends. <laughs> um, but no, no, more, more would make a huge difference. No doubt. And, and, and they're being very, they're kind of playing it close to the vest, but yep. we'll see. All right. So Nicholas Castellanos may hit 60 doubles. Yeah. You know, and, I think uh, he will. He's got 45 now. I think there's no reason why he won't hit 60 doubles. In about 40 games, he absolutely could do it. What's really funny is I think he's aware of it, and he sometimes tries to stretch some singles into doubles when he shouldn't. Yeah, he's been not, thrown out at, at least twice trying to do that. He's no different so. than Baez there. What I think that uh, Castellanos brings to the party is that he's a true number two hole hitter. And the Cubs have really, in my opinion, have really botched that over the years, having Bryant, who is their best hitter, bat two when he should be batting three, which is basically where he's at now. Right, um, yeah. So that's the good news is Castellanos has, has slipped into that two-hole position really well. The problem with with uh, Big Dick Nick, as they called him in Detroit, is that, <laughs> is, that, is that you get past the seventh or eighth inning and the manager is faced with having to make defensive changes based on his liability. The guy's got, you know, a, a, he's just basically it's it's a mop for a throwing arm. He can't he, he, he tries to throw guys out at the plate and it's almost comical. 
Well, he's not as bad as I thought he was going to be, but uh, yeah, maybe you're right. The, sta- the stats where... show no errors, but the stats don't show, you know, what does he has get no range and exactly. he has he has a limited arm. Exactly, yeah. exactly. He's probably more athletic than I had thought he was going to be. He's all right. I mean, Correct. I've seen worse right fielders and worse left fielders, and his bat hopefully will make up for it. What I love about his bat, though, is he really gives the Cubs kind of a a primal element yeah. in that lineup you know that he's just somebody who you're forced to deal with as a pitcher that he can take you out at any time he can just hit a rocket to any part of the ballpark you know so he, he's him. he's very much anti-analytics and all yes. of the modern ways he's just like i got a bat you got a ball throw it to me and i'll hit it that's yeah. all you need to know it's see it <laughs> hit it with him you know right. what is it he said somewhere he the only thing he wants to know is how hard a guy throws Right. And what's his outfit? Yeah. So, he, he doesn't you know. have much uh, respect for launch angles and all that stuff. Exit velocities. Now, uh, the, they, they got a win last night, the yeah. Cubs did. And, and John Lester pitched really well. He really did. They won two to nothing off of a Bryant home run. And then, what was it, a throwing error led to the second run? Yes. And then, and then they brought in Kinsler at the end, who allowed a runner. And I'm thinking, oh my God, here we go again. But he managed to nail down the save. No, actually, that was that was Kinsler didn't pitch. Thank God. It was no. uh, Chatwood, and then they brought in um, Wick. Um, Wick, Wick Rowan to, Wick, yes, to, to get his first save. The great but Rowan Wick. The That's interesting right. story in the game was that Lester was in trouble in almost every single inning, and yeah, he, he was, he, and he yeah. got out of it. Lester is just a flat out gamer. There was a point towards the end; he was at about 105 pitchers. Where uh, 105 pitches, and he just looked like he was about to take that umpire's head off because the umpire was widening the strike or uh, narrowing the strike zone, and and Lester just was like spitting bullets up there on the mound. Which I love to see that kind of stuff. Well, he really he really was dancing and ducking and weaving and just counter punching and getting out of. I mean, he got out of two bases loaded situations. One of them there were nobody out. There was yeah. nobody out. Right, and he got out of it. That was tremendous. It sure was. I mean, and it just shows, I mean, how 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 good he's been for the Cubs, you know, yeah, as, it, as, as, as a free agent yeah, signing. He's just been, you know. You know, on a team that's too even keel for me, and this is a perfect segue into our final uh, – our final note in this segment, uh, he, you know, he, he plays with a fire in his belly that, that is missing that I think um, that we need to talk about in regards to uh, Joe Madden. There's a lot of discussion whether he's going to be back next year. I've always been a huge advocate of his. I've started to lose my faith and confidence in him for one simple reason. I think he has moved too closely and too friendly with his team. And I think that a manager needs to be doesn't need to be best friends and go into barbecues with his players. I think it's the exact opposite. There should I be, don't think he does that. Well, I think he's just a positive guy and he tries to engage him. Yeah, you know, I, I think if they finish the way that I think that they're going to finish, which is potentially in second or third place, well out of the playoffs, I think that you, you I wouldn't be surprised if they replaced him. And in fact, I would be looking potentially for a, maybe a younger manager who uh, a Gabe Kapler type of guy or somebody that's going to, you know, maybe rankle some of the players, but have a better result because the, this is the kind of the definition of insanity. You know, they're doing the same things over and over again, expecting a different result. And it's not, it's not happening. Well, I don't know. I, I see, I disagree. I, I don't think they can afford to let Joe Madden go. 
Uh, it begins with the fact that he just knows too much about their organization. You're going to let this guy leave, and there's all that proprietary information that he's got in his head that he's going to go apply it somewhere else against the Cubs. I, I, I just can't see that happening. And the other thing is, too, that you know I don't think the problems that, that the Cubs are having right now are his fault. This yeah. is an issue of construction of the team, and you have to put that squarely in the, on the shoulders of Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer. They have not given him what he needs to have a winning ball club. And, and he's doing the best he can. He's trying to stay positive. He's trying to stay consistent. I think he does an excellent job. Yeah, in spite I, of, you know, we, we can agree to disagree because I think that uh, if, you, if you want to put it into an equation, I think that Hoyer and Epstein are, are 65% responsible. You're absolutely right. They picked the players. They've made some mistakes. They've picked players, signed players that were injured and just did not work out for whatever reason. But I do believe it night in and night out, and I watch a lot of Cubs uh, action, that he just doesn't have a good feel for the bullpen. And granted, uh. his bullpen his bullpen is terrible. I agree with you. But the golden rule is I don't understand and I never will understand when a guy comes in in a critical situation and starts to put a man on first and then a man on second and he doesn't take him out. If you can't get the ball over the plate as a relief pitcher, you must exit the game. And and Madden doesn't seem to, to be able to uh, uh, grasp that concept. And so I just think at some point they've got to maybe move in a different direction. I love Madden in a lot of ways. I've told you, it reminds me of Spencer Tracy. He's just one of those old He's sages just, yeah, that, right. that you love. But there's something there's it's almost like he needs a Roger Craig. And I'm not talking about the football player. I'm talking about the great ex-manager, but even better pitching yeah. coach when he was on Detroit. And just have a Buddy Ryan situation where you you have a pitching coach that is so dominant and domineering that that he's calling the shots on the team because I don't think Joe really has a good grasp for it. You're, you're saying Tommy Hadovy isn't that guy? No, I think so. I, I don't know that he's being allowed to be that guy because he's so young. It's almost like you need need that old Charlie Manuel type of a guy, somebody that everyone respects and, and it fears to a certain degree. I just think that the, the that there's just something wrong with the Cubs uh, management of their pitching staff. When you have four starters who give up one run combined in four games, they have basically shutouts in the sixth, seventh inning. And then the wheels fall off at every single game. These are major yeah. league relievers. I know they're not that good, but guess what? Sparky 101. If you can't get it done, I'm going to find somebody else. I don't keep sending out the same guy to make it. That's what he did with Carl Edwards Jr. time and time again. And, he, well, and they, the result they, was the same. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, he gave he he gave Edwards the slack, and then they finally he finally hung himself, which right. was uh, you know. But that's uh, see the thing is, if you're going to fire, how do you fire a manager who took your team to the playoffs in hopefully what's going to be five straight years? Not not you know just I mean? that. How do you fire the manager that's maybe arguably the best manager they've ever had going back it to is, 1910? Yeah, he, yeah. So you're right, but all things must change, and I and I think that Ben does so well in you know, eight or nine of the 10 categories as a manager, it's just that one of those categories is really hurting us. And but look I think... at it like, all right, but look at it like this. Fans are always, they always love, you know, especially when bullpens screw up. Right. Fans are always calling for the manager's head. Yeah. Do you think that if the Cubs don't bring Madden back, that it's just, there's, he's just going to be thrown on the trash heap of history and go drive around the, the country in his RV like a homeless guy? No. no. He's going <laughs> to no. be picked up no. by somebody 
And he's going to come back and hurt the Cubs. I think, you know, he's basically might join Bill Walton uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, go and see the, the, the latest Grateful Dead cover band that's playing with his uh, no. hot young wife. He's going to go. He's going to go to Washington. He's going to go to Philadelphia. <laughs> he's going to go to San Diego and yeah. completely turn around some young team. I'm telling you. Well, I so. hope I hope the cops, the Cubs get better. I want them to get better. And uh, let's talk about movies, Leo. Yeah, let's talk about movies. It's been a spirited discussion. Yeah. We both saw uh, the Quentin Tarantino movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. I really liked it. And by the way, before we begin, I just want to say, if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want any spoilers, you may want to turn it off now. Because yeah. we're going to talk extensively about things that happened in the movie. Right. I really liked it. Yeah. You, not so much. No, I, you know, when I look at his nine films, I put it kind of in the middle. It's not that I disliked it. I just, it's just, just there. The only thing that stopped it from being a two and a half star movie for me was just the, the sense of humor of everything. I thought it was just, it, it really, the, the one thing about Quentin Tarantino that he doesn't get enough credit for is, is his humor. And, the, and it was never so evident um, as it was in like Inglorious Bastards, which I think is one, yes, of, yes. one of his be- better efforts. I think this film, it reminds me a lot of the old ABC Tuesday movies of the week. Um, it's which, it, which he was trying, he was trying, he was going for that effect. And, and, the, and the, one of the best features of the film is that it was shot in 1969, 35 millimeter film. So yes. it had, and I saw it on IMAX, which was tremendous, but it has that old, beautiful film effect. I would almost tell everybody, you got to go to the theater to see it, if you have any interest in this, by the way. I just think that there was, that this was a film that was, that, that two-thirds of the way was sailing along perfectly, and then when it went to that portion where he had to be do the Clint Eastwood, uh, you know, uh, foreign film and uh, the spaghetti westerns in Italy, it suddenly yeah. went from February of 69. And then they quickly wrapped it up and went right to the Manson thing at the end. And I thought it was just a little rushed there at the at the end. Um, as far as getting to that point, I have no issue with the ending at all. I kind of liked it a lot. I thought it was hilarious. Parts of it, unbelievably violent. Uh, I'm not going to give away the ending because I think people, sh- if you have any interest, go out and see it. I just think in the pantheon of, of, of his nine films, it's maybe his fifth or sixth best film. I don't think it's better than Reservoir Dogs. I don't think it's better than his best film, which is Pulp Fiction. And I certainly don't think it's better than Inglorious Bastards, which I'm a huge fan of. Hmm. Well, okay. If you want to rate it, I mean, what is this? This is his ninth movie. His ninth film that he directed. Yeah. I believe it's his twelfth film overall, but his ninth that he directed. And I'd say Pulp Fiction is absolutely his best film, without a doubt. And, uh, Inglorious Bastards, and then maybe for me, Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown, yeah, yeah, is a great movie. And then Pulp, Fi- then uh, what is it? Reservoir Dogs, and then what is it? Tr- uh, I would say this is better than True Romance and maybe better than Reservoir Dogs. I would say it's his fourth best film. It's, it's definitely better than his worst film, which is The Hateful Eight. I thought yes, that was his yes, worst effort. That was, that was his worst effort, yeah. And, and so the, the other thing that I wanted to bring out is the fact that what's with the feet, Quentin? Yeah. Like through the whole film, the, the film perspective was either on bare feet or 
or shoes um I, I, on I'm, women women's bare feet yeah, yeah it's like it's almost like to the point of being a fetish i don't ever remember any of his films where there was that much of a focus put on it and dirty feet too it's like it's dirty kind of feet yeah you know there's the seat with yeah no you're right with when when she when she's sitting what is it the um the the actress what's her name i'm, I'm striving, sharon tate oh sharon margot uh, robbie she, i believe margot robbie is the actress who's playing sharon tate she goes to see a movie that she's in yeah and she's goes to the movie theater and she puts her feet up and right. you see her from the front and the bottoms of her feet are yep. dirty. And uh, so, but, but he gets teased for having these foot fetishes and having feet of women appear in his films. So I think he kind of overdid it a little bit with the hippie girls and their sandals and stuff like that. And, but, but I want to say that um, uh, Andy McDowell's daughter, Oh yeah, freaking steals the movie like you said. She she just ran away with it. She, she was brilliant. She she know? was electrifying on screen. We're talking, of course, about Margaret Qualley, yes, uh, the daughter of uh, Annie uh, McDowell, Annie McDowell, and some models she knew in the in the nineties when they lived on that ranch in Montana. Um, yeah. So Al Pacino kind of had a role, uh, an interesting role in the film. Um, you know. Uh, you got to love Quentin Tarantino's love of movies. That is very, yes. very evident yeah. throughout the yeah. whole um, thing. There's a lot of great quotes in the, in the film, but to me, the greatest quote ever, again, without trying to give up the ending, was at the very end when Jay Sebring comes out and says to him, is everyone okay? And Rick, <laughs> and Rick Dalton says, well, the fucking hippies aren't. That's for goddamn sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, there were some good lines. I mean, uh, don't cry in front of the Mexicans. Yeah, you know yeah. that was a good line. But I thought the best scene for me is when when he's filming. He's he's uh when when what's the name of the of Leonardo DiCaprio's character? He's uh, Rick filming Dalton. Rick Dalton. Rick Dalton is filming this movie or this made-for-TV sort of series yeah. where he has to be the bad guy. Right. And he's and he's got this scene with this little girl. Correct. Where he's kidnapped her and he's got her on his lap with a gun to her head. And that scene where, you know, he's just a house on fire where he yeah. just delivers this really evil bad guy monologue. And then the girl leans over to him and says, that was the best bit of acting I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and he just is moved to tears yeah. when this little girl tells him that, you know, and his need for validation is so, you know, profound. I, I just, one of the things that, one of the things that Tarantino really covers off is the insecurity of actors because the yes. Dalton character was getting towards the end of his of his viable uh, acting career, and basically he was crying over it, literally and figuratively, yeah. because yeah. he realized what was happening to him. And you know, his buddy Cliff Booth was just kind of oblivious to the whole thing. That scene with Bruce Lee, I, I, oh. I almost started. I almost started pulling out of my chair laughing. At that the, was such a great scene. That really was. And, and it's proved a longtime theory of mine because that quote about Bruce Lee saying, hey, I could have beat Muhammad Ali is absolutely ridiculous. As much yes, as I right. love Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali would have knocked you out in one round, buddy. You would never. I mean, basically, he outweighed you by 100 pounds. That's, slight, that's part of the problem. But Bruce Lee was, and I've read this numerous times, was quite full of himself. And I just thought he got kind of brought back to earth uh, pretty right. well. well I, I, you know, you know what I think though. I think because the Bruce Lee family was really upset about it. Oh, they still you know are. what I mean? They still they're are. they're very upset. And I think you know if Bruce Lee had seen it, he would have loved it. Yeah, he would have laughed his ass off. First of all, you know, it's fiction. It is exactly it's it, fiction. <laughs> 
it's fiction, you know. What? But but that is a really great scene with Bruce Lee. Oh, you know, if I kill you, my hands are registered as deadly weapons. I'll go to jail. Yeah. It's like two guys get into a fight. <laughs> you know, one of them gets killed. One of them goes to jail. It's called manslaughter. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> so, so anyway, all right. So, Tom, um, why don't we try Skype one more time? We're going to close things out here. It's been a great conversation, as always. This will drop in just a few minutes, and I uh, hope you have a great weekend. Yep, take care. All right, Over see you. Bye.